What's up, legends? It's Travis Jones here with the Fit Dad Club podcast, here with Jason Barrett. And today we're talking about what's really making you fat. And you can't say it's your wife's cooking. So, Jace, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm good, man. I don't know if I, uh, my, I, I mean, my, if my wife cooked to me, it would be making me skinny. Before I met her, she was doing um, no oil, ground beef in a pan with no salt and just raw vegetables. So, um, yeah, some of you, you need to find a wife uh, like mine who cook you that food. <laughs> Nothing. And then you get shredded. You know, Here's no. a tin of tuna and some lettuce. Good luck. Have, enjoy yeah. dinner. Exactly. Um, well done. You're welcome. <laughs> um, well, today we're going to talk about your genes. We're going to look at society. We're going to understand your metabolism. Um, we're going to go into your age and does your age make you gain weight um breakfast not eating breakfast we're gonna have um a bit of a look into each of these so listening guys take note and you can finally understand what is actually making you fat by the end of this episode so first off i wanted to kick off is your parents like a lot of people <laughs> hear it all the time um even in the gym right oh these um this body fat under my arms you know i got that from my mum um and is there a way to work that off or it's like oh my the, the gut around my my stomach here the fat around my stomach it's like oh my dad had it my granddad had it um you know it's just it's our family is like this that's our body type um so do genes make you fat it's an interesting question it's something that we can definitely lean on if we are overweight right now because it's a simple excuse right it takes everything out of our control like uh I've no control. It was my heritage. Um, well, you're not because my heritage, you know, actually we did do the, um, what's that DNA heritage 23 thing? 23 and me. 23 and me. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. My sister did that. Saliva. Off saliva. The internet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they can clone and now, now they can take me. I'm going to be a Russian. Um, I'm going to be somewhere <laughs> up there soon. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I flew through Perth a couple of years ago and my sister, she's like, Oh, I need you to drive past my house. Cause they need another saliva from our family to it so I can do it. I was like, I drove past my house, my sister's house, spit, spit, spit yeah, spat on her and I drove back to the airport. Um, <laughs> spat in a tube for her for like uh, five minutes. And we are actually from the Vikings. So if anything, mate, like, mm. hey, if we're, we're Vikings, mate, we're definitely not going to be fat. I'm out there with yeah. Loki trying to take over right. Europe. Yeah, um, I was going to say, we, we might be, uh, I can do a good Ragnar fucking Ragnar. I watch Vikings. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I think Barrett goes back to Vikings as well. And, you know, if I got the, the, you know, the six foot one with blonde hair, I feel like I'll fit in well. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Yeah. Scandinavian, you'd be good. Um, yeah. But do they actually make us fat if we look at our genes? Well, genes do account for about 25% of the predisposition of being overweight. So yes, 25%. But in reality, that means you still have 75% in your control. So, you know, it, it's not your genes. It's not your mom. She didn't give you the arms and your granddad didn't give you his gut, right? The beers probably did uh, for your granddad. He needs to stop drinking as much. And we have to understand with this as well, like Western civilization over the last five decades, over the last 50 years, we've steadily increased our BMIs, our weight has continued to increase, the obesity and overweight epidemic that is, re increases like every year. Um, I think we're up to like 68 or 71% uh, overweight or obese now, um, which is insane um, for us. Yeah, it's, it's actually quite nuts. So our genes haven't changed. You know, in the last 50 years, we, we haven't evolved so much to create fat genes to make us fat. Um, our lifestyle has changed. I think that's a big thing. And we're, we try and look for things to blame 
like our genes because we don't have any control over it. And that allows us to justify our poor behaviors. What do you think, Jason? I agree. I think the, when I look at uh, understanding genes as a, like, it's a fucking complicated thing. There's mm. people who will tell you that they can create diets and workout plans based on your DNA. But it's like the science is nowhere near advanced enough yet to understand that. Like there might be some people who'd be like, oh, well, people who have this gene expression will, you know, have blunted, you know, leptin responses and all this and blah, 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 blah. Or their ghrelin won't fucking operate, whatever. They'll, they'll have, there is some like little nuanced shit like that that might affect hunger cues. And, um, you know, there's obviously medication has been um, brought out and it's always recommended. There's a couple of um, doctors I love to follow. You, um, do you follow Spencer Nadolsky on yep. uh, Instagram? Yeah. Yep. Really, really good stuff. He founded the Docs Who Lift because his big thing was like, there's fat doctors treating obesity and it's like uh, with just like pills and that kind of stuff. And it's mm. not really the vibe, but you know, you, you want to have that in combination with diet and exercise because that's, that's it at the end of the day. There's going to, that's going to be the thing that helps you lose that extra body fat. But your genes are really only determined for me, the way I look at it is number one, how big you can get naturally from a muscular perspective, mm. like what muscles for you are going to grow better than others. Right. And there are, you know, there's yeah. different groups of people are going to grow differently. There'll be people that tend to have shorter, um, you know, quads and, and, um, calves compared to their upper body people. Like if you think like, um, Polynesians will tend to have really they'll carry a lot of their fat as well as a lot of their muscle in their lower body and make really good rugby players because of that. It's all in sort of the, the lower body. Whereas a lot of Westerners will tend to carry it more in the midsection. Just that's the, the level of genetics that affects it affects where you store your fat and how jacked you're going to get in each, in each area. Right. I've accepted that. I'm never going to have huge cards, right? I'm just, I don't prioritize them when I train, but I'm also probably just never going to have big cards. Um, but my, my lats tend to be quite big, right? And then that's the only body part that I'll sort of take ownership of. But that's genetics. Genetics isn't going to say, well, I do get fat or I don't get fat. There's so much, as Travis said, and we'll go into that in a bit, that has changed in society and, and lifestyle things. Um, you know, we sit down a lot more than we did 50, 100 years ago. Our genes do not evolve in like one or two generations, you're not going to see evolutionary change, right? If you, you know, believe in evolution or don't over millions and millions of years, things get slowly, slowly, slowly refined until you end up with, you know, basically a different species by the end of it. That's not going to happen from no. you to your, like, someone's going to write and be like, oh, my, my son was born with a third ear. He's a genetic, ev- <laughs> just that, that's, the, you do you, you deal with that however you want to deal with that. That's not, uh, I don't think that's evolution. No, not at all. <laughs> So, mate. So, guys, anyone out there saying um, I am fat because of my grandparents? You're not fat because of the genes that your fat grandparents held, right? Maybe the environmental factors that they put you in, and your parents because of the habits they passed down. But definitely, it's not because of the genes that you're carrying because of that. Um, Now, is my slow metabolism making me fat? Now. This is a big one that people say, oh, I just got slow metabolism. I can't lose weight. I never lose weight because my, my metabolism doesn't work. Now, yeah, and we're, now we're talking broad strokes, right? Hypothyroidism, mm. hypothyroidism. There's there is factors in there as far as like how well your thyroid gland works. But mm. if we look at not the minutia for my keyboard warriors, but we look at the whole of most mm-hmm. of society, your slow metabolism actually isn't making you fat, right? Like there's no relationship between resting metabolic rate. So the your the calories you burn at rest on a daily basis, that's what it is. Um, and those who have a, a slightly faster one or a slightly l- lower resting metabolic rate and their ability to lose weight. 
you know, some people might be on slightly higher calories and some people might have to be on slightly lower calories, but that doesn't mean you can't lose weight. There's no metabolism where it's like, you can't lose weight because you're, you're, you've got a slow metabolism. All it is, it's a starting point. And this again, from most of society, okay, context matters, most of society, um, that we need to just slightly off, start you off on slightly lower uh, calories to still put you in that 500 calorie deficit a day to still lose that half a kilo a week. And I think that's a big thing for people to understand. Yeah, your metabolism might not be that of everyone's not the same, but of course everyone's not the same. That doesn't mean you can't lose weight. It just means your starting calorie point is going to be slightly different, which is why you can't follow someone on TikTok and go, this is what I eat in a day and fucking follow what they eat in a day and expect you're going to lose weight because you're not them. You're not there. You don't have their metabolism. You also don't have what they do in a day as far as steps, training and all the rest of it, their training background and also their constraints as far as their lifestyle and your lifestyle. So the day on the plate um, and eat what I, what do you eat in someone? People I message, Oh, what do you eat, dude? Like, can I eat the same as you? And then I'll lose weight. Or I'll get, it's like, mate, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't. You need to understand your metabolism. You need to understand your calorie deficit. Make sure that you're hitting that in a 500 calorie per day deficit. You lose half a kilo a week and making sure you're hitting your protein goal for your weight as well. I think that's a big thing that it's an individualized process, not a fucking woman's day magazine that tells you eat the latest fucking calories and, and menu plan. Yeah, exactly. It's they, they, That was the biggest point that I wanted to make sure we drove home as well. It's just, you don't need to see, oh, there's this magic number of, you know, 1,200, 1,400, 1,600, 1,800. It's always in fucking multiples of two. I saw a reel the other day that was like, bro, you programmed a, a set of nine to 13 or like aim for nine reps. Why not 10? It's like, you only do eight, 10 or 12. It's the only amount of reps you're allowed to do. It's like, it, it made me laugh because it is always so nice, clean, neat number, right? And, but there's nothing magical about that. You, it's a very individualized thing. There are going to be, there's going to be, so from my experience, everyone's got like a band of calories, right? And mm. in, in that band of calories, there's a low end and a high end and they eat in that range. And that's basically their, um, their maintenance, right? They can maybe eat for me. It was probably somewhere between um, back before I started this, probably somewhere between 1800 and 2000 was like my maintenance. I would probably maintain maybe, maybe a little bit higher, but just from purely eating, and then tracking my weight and tracking my progress. By the way, that's one of the best ways you can figure out what your metabolism is. Mm. Track your food and track your weight and see if it changes over the course of three, four weeks. If you get no changes over three, four weeks, you're probably eating at maintenance. That's pretty good. If you gained a little bit, you're probably eating a bit, a bit above, lost a little bit. You're probably eating a little bit below. Fucking science, magic, right? Don't listen to the, you know, the, oh, you, if you eat this, you'll guarantee lose weight. Because it's, yeah, as Travis said, it's all individual. And by finding your metabolism, your metabolic rate, the thing is, your hunger and your uh, appetite cues are going to be related to your metabolism. Um, and as as Trev said, you know, um, outliers, you know, not included in this. Obviously, if you've got outlying things, you know, good for you. Well, probably not good for you, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> sorry to offend, but the except for the outliers, you're going to your your hunger cues are going to be related to the amount of calories you burn in a day, right? If you've got a fast metabolism. Um, or you know, a high metabolic rate, you're going to uh, be hungry more often, you're going to eat more. And as a result, your body's going to give you the cues to eat more and you're going to be fine. Like I know a trainer who burns, he eats about five and a half thousand calories a day. Someone was like, how do you, uh, you know, how do you eat so much? 
um, you know, how do you burn so much and still stay the same? He went outside in a cold day, held his hand, opened it, and it started steaming. It's just like his body temperature was that high. It's like just an indicator of his metabolism. Just like his dude is like the um, the flame, whatever his name was. And <laughs> fantastic, fantastic Paul. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's 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 the metabolism is is this very varied multi-organ multi-faceted thing that goes just beyond you know your thyroid and your steps like there's more obviously all this other shit that goes on in it but once you find your calorie load the amount of calories you can take your hunger will determine that i've got a client who's 125 kilos now he started about 135 he's had to eat about 16 1700 calories and then drop lower he's not hungry he wasn't losing weight on the that amount of calories and you know i confirmed you know he was tracking that and that was all good so if you're not losing weight on that, then you're not in a deficit, which means mm. that your body needs less if you're going to lose extra body fat. And that's just the way it is. So don't get people in your head telling you a certain number of calories is unhealthy or a certain number of calories isn't right because you've got to figure that out for yourself. Um, no such thing as a, a metabolism stopping you from doing that because all of your other bodily cues are going to be in line with your metabolism. Not um, Your metabolism is not going to be one thing that's just out of whack. And it's like, oh, my hunger cues make me eat 2,500, but my resting metabolic rate is 1,500. It's like, no, 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 there's some there's some deeper shit going on there. That ain't That ain't your body. Exactly, man. I think also it's those people with the slow metabolism, they're like, oh, I dieted too hard in the past and I broke my metabolism, so now I can't lose weight again. It's like, dude- it's like you I dropped a coffee cup. Yeah, exactly. You oh, no. break your metabolism. You ever seen the photos from the concentration camps? Like, man, there wasn't a fat guy there, right? Because they moved all day and they got fed hardly anything and they lost all the body fat and all the muscle mass as well. There wasn't no like jack everything. dudes walking around in a concentration yeah. camp either. But so it's like, you didn't break your metabolism. You can lose weight with a, you know, inverted commas, slow metabolism. You just have to find out where yours sits. And like, I've had guys who have, you know, your medication, some people's medications does slow it down as well. I've had to put them on 1200 calories for them to continue to lose weight, to get to their optimal body composition, for them to feel fit, healthy, and to move away from health related diseases. And once they've lost the weight, we've been able to put them back up. But you see people out there. And you'll be posting, you probably see it on your social media. Oh, you can't have 1200 calories because you'll kill your metabolism. Dude, like you might have to, like you might have mm. to. And that's okay because you're an individual. If you do have to be on 1200 calories, then you better look out and watch the TikToks that Jace is throwing up about how to eat high volume food. Um, because you just need more volume and you just need to make sure that I'm still going to be okay with my hunger levels because of the medications I'm taking are making my metabolism a little bit slower, but I can still be in that 500 calorie deficit and still lose half a kilo every single week. I just need to understand my bandwidth, as Jay said. So as you do lose weight for anyone out there, you will have to decrease your calories when you hit a plateau. It's not your metabolism stopped working, right? It didn't, it's not like, oh, I broke metabolism. I hit a plateau. I've been eating my deficit. Yeah, because when you lose weight, your metabolism actually slows down because the 90 kilo version of you and the 100 kilo version of you actually doesn't need the same amount of calories. You're not carrying the same amount of fat around each day. You know, it's just the simple, right? You put a 10 kilo weight vest on, go do a workout and see if that was harder. Of course it was harder because you're carrying 10 kilos around. You put you put nearly probably 10% plus on your body weight on. So if you take that 10 kilo of weight vest off, which you lost 10 kilos of fat and you lost 10% of your body weight, then yeah, your metabolism is going to slow down because to walk, to sleep, to breathe, to eat, to everything, you don't need as much energy to do it. So your metabolism will slow as you start to get smaller and about a 12%, a 10% reduction of 
uh, your total body weight will, what they're looking at is about 12% reduction in your metabolic rate. Um, and then it will sort of plateau around the 20% reduction of your metabolic rate um, once you've lost about 20% of total body weight. So it's all that also does plateau in most people. Right, but you will hit cues and you will hit plateaus, and that's not because you're breaking metabolism, it's because it's slowed down because you're a smaller version of you. Um, now also when you are dieting, your neat activity, your fidgeting decreases, the amount you put your extra steps in, we just tend to park closer to shops. So the things you consciously have control over is to buy a fidget spinner. <laughs> at least your, yep. your steps, right? You fidget all day long with a fidget spinner and at least just be focused on your steps because that's the neat that we can control. Um, people do ask though, Jace, um, is my age making me fat? Now, yeah. what do you reckon? This is one that we get a lot. Oh, as I've yeah. gotten older, my metabolism, again, it always comes back to metabolism. Uh, <laughs> as I've gotten older, my metabolism, that's the mechanism most people think is the thing yeah. that stops them from, from or that yeah. makes them get fat. Um, as I've gotten older, you know, um, my metabolism has just slowed down. I haven't, you know, I haven't changed what I'm eating. I still eat kind of the same sort of things, but I've just gotten, I've just gotten, you know, older. And it's like, well, your metabolism doesn't meaningfully slow until you're 60. Yeah. Um, however, the things that do affect your metabolism or the amount of energy that you burn in a day is how much you move. Think about your progression of uh, activity and movement from when you're 20 years old, right? You think, oh, I've got all this energy. Fucking, I don't know. You're texting girls. You're going out to clubs. You're like, you know, you're probably eating the same sort of foods. You know, you have a kebab at home these days. Instead, you'd have a kebab out at 2 a.m. those days, but then you'd burn it off by fucking dancing, right? And yeah. then you'd, you know, text a girl, go back to her place, you know, do all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, all those adult activities for any kids in the car. Um, hopefully not. Uh, we swear a little Sleep. bit on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, you sleep, you sleep at the house. Sleeping burns a lot of calories. And then, you know, you get up, you go to the shops with your mates, you go do, you just do shit. You play sport. The amount of guys, oh, I used to play sport and, you know, play cricket or rugby or footy every weekend and, you know, go out. And then, you know, as you get older, number one, now I've noticed this a lot for uh, people who are tradies, especially people who work in construction. You go from being out on the tools to then being a supervisor right? For a lot of guys. And that means you're in the car, you, you, you're, you know, in the, um, in the donga, writing out plans, calling people, doing that sort of shit. You're not out there actually doing the work. You're burning less calories. You're not going for walks as much. Maybe you've got some, you know, lingering knee pains because you got tackled too hard one of those days. So you don't go out for walks as much, right? You, you're comfortable with your wife. So you don't go out to do, you know, fun activities like hiking and you got kids. You just want to lie down and sleep because you're tired and all of that stuff all adds up right? It's like these little one to two to 5% little differences in all these different areas of life that mean you end up moving less, eating a bit more. And that's what causes you to gain weight because you could be eating the exact same shit as when you were 20 years old, but you're not moving the same amount. So from maintaining to gaining is it's a very small difference. It's about, yeah, like you could gain half a kilo a week if you wanted to go 500 calories up, but yeah. even one or 200 calories up it's not about fucking four weeks or eight weeks. This is about five no. years. Yeah. You can put that on in five years by the tiniest little decrease in activity, the tiniest little increase in caloric load. You do both of those things. Then in 10 years time, you're like, fuck, I'm 20 kilos heavier than I thought I should be. How did this happen? It's like, well, pretty simply, right? You moved a lot less and you ate a lot more, more. as you got older. That's, that's the long and short of it for me. Uh, mate, 100%. Like, I think from 20 to 60, like you were saying, you know, metabolism doesn't change. Um, but, you know, like our resting metabolism. But when we look at it, 
the average office worker will mm. walk four and a half thousand to five thousand steps a day, and that's a supervisor when we're looking at tradie world, right? Um, and the average tradie will walk, you know, somewhere between ten up to eighteen thousand steps a day. Depends on the tradie. Now, yeah. that's a lot of steps, right? So that's the difference between doubling or if not tripling your steps. And if we look at that over five days or six days a week, that's an extra fifty thousand steps a week. Um, now that is a lot. That is, that's a massive amount of calories burned per week from changing jobs. So mm. you might, yeah, you might have more money, but your activity levels have dropped. So you need to then spend time outside of your job and go and do those extra steps to maintain your weight, or you need to decrease what you're eating to maintain your weight. And it just is what it is. It's what we manage in life is what we measure. So you might've had a pay increase, but you had a metabolic rate deep metabolic rate decrease so you need to budget your calories better um to make sure that we're maintaining our weight whereas you know you might be a little bit looser on your budgeting of your finances because you're making more money it's up to you i don't care it's your money exactly. you can afford to buy a better food and then uh, buy the high protein <laughs> healthier options there you go exactly or buy a walking pad and walk during your work hours um yeah, exactly. tell bring everyone it into that. the donger <laughs> so we we know that from all of this it's not our age like our age is mm. definitely not making us fat um, another one people will say is not eating breakfast, you know, cause when the people do start with coaching as, like, oh, you know, I don't eat breakfast. It's probably the biggest thing that's stopping me from losing fat. I know I just don't have the time in the morning. Now it's the most important meal of the day. Yeah. It boosts your metabolism because somehow somewhere out there, people said that your metabolism doesn't start until you eat breakfast. Like dude, your metabolism's running every hour, every minute, every second of the day. Whether you eat or not, your metabolism is literally running. So it doesn't kickstart when you eat your, any food. What does happen is digestion starts and your metabolism might increase through the thermic effect of food because you're burning more energy to digest and break down the food that you just ate. But it doesn't matter if you eat breakfast or you don't eat breakfast. If the total daily caloric intake from you eating breakfast, then lunch, and then dinner is 2,000 calories, your thermic effect of food or your metabolism increases by 200 calories. If you skipped breakfast and had 1,000 calories for lunch and 1,000 calories for dinner, and that's still, when we look talking about this, similar macro, so same proteins in it, and we just broke it up in two meals instead of three, then you're still going to burn around 200 calories from digestion. So three meals, two meals, doesn't matter. Not eating breakfast does not mean you are going to store fat or not lose weight as fast. The amount of calories you do matters. Now, what I do say for a lot of my guys though, is I want the first thing that goes into their mouth to be protein. I don't want you to, oh, I don't have breakfast, but I have three you know, milky lattes, depends if you're in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, you might have an almond chai or something like that. But um, if not having three milky lattes and with two sugars in each of them, um, and then no, that's not the first thing I want you to have. Because then what happens is insulin goes up, blood sugar levels fluctuate, you do crave more, okay? There is such a thing as cravings. Um, mm. So we can then tend to eat more in society based on what we're first hitting. So first eating. So we do want to make sure we're having some protein, making sure we're having some fiber, that first meal of the day, because it helps stabilize blood sugar levels, make sure we're having some fats, it stabilizes blood sugar levels. And you don't have these massive urges from it as well. So whether you eat breakfast or whether you eat lunch first, it doesn't matter. All I want you to do is making sure you're having 30 grams of protein in that meal. 
So three or four eggs with some egg whites or a steak. Have, tell one of the guys the other day, it's like, have a steak for breakfast. A like, steak for breakfast? It's like, yeah, have a steak for breakfast. Um, like, Don't be limited if, by the constraints of society. Society. You know, what is and isn't a fucking breakfast food. I'll <laughs> exactly. eat eggs for dinner and I'll eat steak for breakfast. I don't give a fuck. But I do it just to fuck with society. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Don't I, tell I do me what little, to do. <laughs> I give a little. I give a little. Give a little. <laughs> that's, that's it, right? Like they'll talk about starvation mode, I think, is another one that, that people talk about, right? That's yeah. sort of the, you know, if you go on low calories and also if you skip meals, your body will go into starvation mode. It's like, I don't think anyone in Western society, unless you got like that guy that got lost doing rock climbing in 48, 42 hours yeah. or whatever it was, like, I don't think anyone's really really truly felt starvation if you listen to this podcast you probably have it right there might be again outliers but you haven't really truly felt salvation even so it's like you don't just like your body doesn't get to the point where it's like i can retain all of this extra body fat by starvation mode it's mm. like it'll do things to uh, get you to move less it'll do things to you know keep your muscle mass around but the body fat it doesn't necessarily see as as necessary when you're in a deficit and same thing as when you don't eat a meal it's not going to go oh shit shut you know shut everything down right like oh you know, we haven't had breakfast where you know we batten down the hatches where you know we're in it for the long haul like that's the natural kind of rhythm this is why intermittent fasting gained a bit of um popularity in the initial stages is because it's like well your body was not necessarily like when we were, you know, our ancestors, they would get up in the morning. They, they would fucking wake up in their cave or, you know, in their house or whatever. It would take them four hours to, you know, mill the grain to make their bread or fucking hunt a, a tiger to get some meat or whatever. Or they probably hunted something easier than a tiger. Let's be honest. <laughs> you hunted like little pheasants and shit, right. To get their food. They're not going to, they didn't wake up and then go, Oh, I'm just going to have this food that was readily prepared straight away. That gained popularity for intermittent fasting it's all about preference and lifestyle. As Trav said, there's no inherent boost from having six, seven meals a day, eating frequently or eating as soon as you wake up in the morning. None of that matters. As long as the macro split, the proteins, carbs, and fats are equal across the meals. And as long as the calorie load is distributed equally across the meals, then it's all much of a muchness. It's all about preference. There's no inherent advantage. Um, I would say there's more of a disadvantage to eating more frequently because it's just more of a pain in the ass. Like I would much rather have like, three at the moment i'm trying to gain so i'm like all right i'll have four meals but i would much rather have like two meals a day not have mm. to think about it boom eat meal one boom eat meal two and then just don't have to think about food all the time after that and there's no inherent disadvantage to that so no your skipping of breakfast or of any meal is not causing you to put on extra fat in fact it's probably helping you a little bit because then yeah you're not having a a, a sausage roll and, a, and three milky coffees for breakfast and then two sugars and then having lunch and dinner as well Oh, mate, 100%. Like, I generally only have the two meals a day. And I like mm. it. It helps with my productivity. I don't have to worry about it. And my metabolism is running quite well. I think they were looking at alternate day fasting with one of the studies. And after, I think, 22 days of alternate day fasting, and that means every other day you literally eat nothing, okay? I think the metabolism went down by 2%. Um, so, you know, but then when we look at that, if you're only eating every other day for 22 days, you probably lost a shitload of weight because your calorie deficit was so high that mm. your 2% reduction in metabolic rate was probably from the weight you lost. Um, so, yeah. Unless you managed to eat 4,500 calories every second <laughs> exactly. day, which I honestly don't, I think I don't see. I don't think you'd be able to. That's, yeah. That would be a challenge. Uh, yeah, mate. I think the people that would be fasting alternate day fasting would also not be eating the 4,500 calories um, on the other day because they've decided to do something quite disciplined. Um, yeah, so 
the next thing is my society, right? And this is a big thing that, um, you know, is out there and I want to have a chat about. So, you know, is society making me fat? And people like to blame things that are outside their control, right? You know, we blame the metabolism because we don't, tr- you know, most people don't properly understand the metabolism. So it's easy to blame. We blame our parents because then we don't have control over it. And people, oh, metabolism is slow. That's why I gained weight. No one's going to question you. So, because most people don't understand. So that means it's something we can lean on as an excuse. Parents, people aren't going to question you because, you know, genes, um, you know, like, so we have to look at my age because then, you know, most people think, so it's like easy to lean on. I'm getting older. That's why I'm getting fatter. And I was like, no, well, it's easy for us, for us to rely on. You know, when we look at it, it's the friends and society that I like to look at as well. So hmm. are, is society making us fat? And I think that's a big thing. And mm. I would say that your friends do because there is some studies around that. I think if um, if one of your friends, if if a friend's uh, obese, um, you're fifty seven percent more likely to be obese. Um, if your sister or a sibling's obese, you're forty percent likely to be as well. So when we look at society re- reasons um, around that, yeah, like society can be making you fat, and I think that's more of an environmental thing because you choose your friends. And sometimes you can choose your siblings as well, but you choose your friends. Um, so it doesn't mean you can go kick the fatties to the curb. That's not what we want to do, guys. But you can also limit whilst you're truly trying to change your life, you can limit your exposure to certain people whilst you're trying to change habits and put your life on a new trajectory, knowing that the studies show that society does help with making us fat with our friendship groups. And we'll talk about why that is after. Um, but I know, Jace, you have some different thoughts also around food with society and how that's also making us fat, mm. not just marketing, yeah. but just actual food. Yeah, it's. Uh, I would say this is probably like the biggest one where I'd say that it's, uh, again, once you have knowledge and once you have, like knowledge is power. So once you're aware of things like uh, the food, the, um, you know, obviously the, society as a whole has moved toward a more sedentary lifestyle, right? Like office jobs weren't a thing hundred years ago, right? Or they weren't a, a thing that every single person was bloody doing, right? There, you know, th- there was a lot of change that's happened. Our food has become hyper caloric and hyper palatable. So we can eat a shit ton of it and it doesn't fill us up and it has a ton of calories in it, right? Like these ingredients and all of these things are really readily available. And, um, and as a result of the less active lifestyles, all that kind of stuff, it, it all, it, it adds up. There are a number of factors in society that have built up, but in saying that, you know, that eating a fucking pizza isn't going to be that great for your health. You know, that you need to move a little bit more deck. These are things that are inherently, like I would say that 99.99% of people know that you need to move a little bit more if you want to have the best health. If you're currently working office job, you don't move, you don't actively make time for some kind of physical activity, then you know, you probably know, yeah, I'm not getting the best out of my health. I could be doing this more. Problem is people still don't fucking do it, right? So at the end of the day, we can't necessarily blame society. No. We can't necessarily say it's, it's society's fault that we're fat. Society has fostered an environment where there is a, like almost like a promotion of negative mental health. You get things like depression pop up for people a lot more. Um, a, a lot of people also just claim to have depression when they just feel a bit down, mm. which is you know, kind of a natural expression. Um, there's a lot of healthy and then also, in my opinion, unhealthy expressions of you know mental health out there. Like people fucking over, um, over, uh, what's the word? Over, um, 
not symptomizing, but over prescribing and over um, diagnosing themselves and trying to get a name for every single thing. Oh, you're 0.35 <laughs> on the autism spectrum disorder. It's like all of this, like really trying to nail in a, um, a, a specific diagnosis for every single thing. And it's like the seeing people on social media a lot, you're getting comparison, right? To all these people who are shredded and on steroids and out there fucking flexing. Oh, bro, I just eat 1800 calories and take oxy shred. That's all you need to do too. Like, fucking no, you don't. Don't take fuck oxy shred. Um, you don't need it, but the, the <laughs> I'm coming for, for, I'm coming for the lab. Um, but there's, there's all this comparison and that creates this sort of more negative mental health space where people will then do things like turn to food for comfort and turn to food for, um, you know, just, just enjoyment and all those little things because they don't have as much in their life because of all that stuff and because of all that societal thing. So there's, I would say that there's like second and third order consequences from the way that society has um, evolved, but I still can't say that society is the blame because the knowledge is out there. The information is out there. The power is out there. We know most of it. Like we know eat more whole foods, move a bit more. Um, society does, yes, foster an environment where we can potentially spiral negatively, right? And again, as Trav was saying, having those friends who are more like, oh, just come out with us. Let's go get a burger and celebrate or let's go have a beer and, and talk about it or you know whatever, all that kind of stuff. All that promotes, again, the same kind of coping with food and alcohol that caused the problems in the first place and having more positive people in your space and more people that are like, hey, you know, let's go for a walk and talk about it. You know, let's go, let's go out for a hike. Let's get some fresh air. Let's do something about it. Um, that's what's obviously going to promote a better result from a physical standpoint. Um, but yeah, there's my, my rant on sort of society and the flow on effects. And it's a fucking, it's a complicated thing. It's, yeah. yeah. Cause I, I think again, we like to blame someone for where we're at, especially when we're in a negative headspace, right? Mm. I think food, food's the most um, socially acceptable drug for us to use to cope with emotions. Alcohol is the second. Um, the one behind closed doors, which people cope with is porn. The one that people get locked up and putting in jail for is, you know, hard drugs. So it's at least socially acceptable. Um, so when we look at it, people lean for social acceptance. It doesn't matter where you turn on the TV. If a girl had a breakup, she's eating a bowl, a Sunday of ice cream on TV shows, right? And they gather around and or a guy breaks up and he gets fucking blind drunk, right? And that's what's on the movies and the TV shows, right? No one yeah, says and he hooks up with his he yeah. hooks up with his ex-girlfriend's best friend and then exactly. regrets it the next day and then it calls exactly. him, you know the story. Yeah, exactly. No one goes, Man, that's bad. Let's go for a nice walk and, and have a chat. Um, like it just yeah. doesn't happen on the shows, and then we essentially live similar to how we believe we should live from these. You're probably not living how you watch, you know, Fast and Furious X or Fast X. You're not driving cars into cranes and knocking boulders of bombs off the bridge. Um, but when they're relatable, not ridiculous, um, we tend to take them in. So, I, and I do believe society, not only one, it's a drug that we see as, as okay. And we have to go, well, why am I eating? So again, it's more conscious. So as Jay said, you're consciously choosing. It's like, why am I choosing to eat pizza? Why am I having chicken schnitzels five nights of the week? Um, I've asked people, it was like, oh, dude, like how are you eating like your, your, your meat? It's like, yep, yeah, I eat chicken. I look at the, the I eat chicken like four or five times a week and I look at their meal plan and what they've actually eaten. It's like they're eating chicken schnitzel and chicken parma, then chicken Kiev. And I was like, I was like, dude, you're not having chicken five nights a week. You're having bread, <laughs> yeah, <and> cheese, <laughs> exactly. <some> chicken to <laughs> Like, 
So, like, again, society will throw this down our throat. I was like, yeah, it's a good chicken. Um, so when we understand this, it's like, why am I eating this food? Okay, is it for my health or is it for an emotion that I'm trying to suppress? And if your first step is just conscious awareness, right? And if you can go, well, I'm trying to suppress an emotion, then you can actually go, well, is there a better way for me to you to from for me to move through this emotion not like mm. avoid um but is there a better way for me to move through this emotion for those guys out there and you don't have to mm. like not feel the weak for drinking essentially just calories right alcohol or food mm. you don't have to blunt your emotions you can feel them and then you can use them in a positive way not a negative way and we turn into mm the best best version of us i do believe the whole self-love movements out there as well um and it's like yeah guys like you should love yourself if you're overweight or obese but you should also do something about it okay and you can again come at me for this right but you know if you're 150 kilos um you and you drop the 50 kilos of fat mass you're gonna be fucking healthier right you just are like i i don't like the overweight acceptance of everyone should be you know let's accept the bodies that we have it's like no yeah you accept it. i'm 150 kilos i'm carrying mm. 60 kilos of fat mass don't shame yourself because that doesn't solve it but actually be realistic with yourself and do something about it and love yourself on the journey and i think that's where the self-love dynamic misses the point um it's yeah. like you love yourself enough do do something about it because you want to be here for a longer period of time. Because I am like, when you're looking at it, someone who is 150 kilos and needs to lose the 60 kilos probably has a shorter lifespan. They probably do mm. versus someone who is healthy, goes for walks, eats unprocessed food. They probably will have a longer lifespan. It just is what it is mm. because you, yeah. your, your heart doesn't have to work as hard. Your body doesn't have to work as hard. Yeah, there's a couple of really good points in there that I wanted to touch on as well. Number one was around the um, like uh, men using the alcohol to blunt their emotions, right? There's obviously there's like Beyond Blue. There's a lot of projects out there that are dedicated to you know men speaking up more about their emotions and about how they feel because that's another big one. Is is guys will tend to turn to alcohol and to feel like they can't express themselves, they can't express their emotions, how they feel and what's going on for them inside. So they do turn to these more negative and more destructive um, ways of dealing with it rather than, as you say, moving through it instead of avoiding it and getting it out healthily. Because you know, a lot of guys, especially um, you know, if you're probably in your, I would say between like sort of 40s and 50s, you probably grew up with parents of a generation of, yep, fucking harden up, son. Just, you know, you just got to grit your teeth and get it done. I worked in a fucking coal mine, like, you know, boys sink beers and women in the kitchen like that. Or that that fucking you know really misogynistic um generation that you know that was obviously just a product of the times right you can't look back and judge people with today's morals based on what was going on in their um in their time right it's just not a practical thing to do right. but just accept that cool that was the way that it was and that was the way that we were brought up and um you know to a degree we've got to understand that it is well first of all it's okay this is exactly as you're saying this is where the sort of the self-love and self-acceptance movement misses the mark a bit it's like you've got to love yourself you've got to appreciate i've been through what i've been through um i am where i am because of my actions and i can be a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time that's that's that quote sticks with me when it comes to health and fitness i can be a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time everyone thinks that in order for you to want to you know there's that's the the narrative in the sort of you know obesity is healthy sort of 
movement that that almost goes out there just because you want to change means you're upset with where you are that's not that's not it (laughs) means you hate yourself and you want yourself to it's like fuck i want myself to to grow and evolve and become better yeah it doesn't just because i want to be better doesn't mean that where i'm at is bad no um and i think that 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 fucking dissonance is so um such a, a negative and it's really weighing on a lot of society it's like as a society, as people, as a general community, yes, we should really not give a fuck what other people look like. No. That is something that I agree. It's like, yes. I don't care what you look like. That is your choices. That is your life. Um, but don't come to me and try and tell me that you shouldn't want to try and change if you want to, because those people then try and tear those people down. They're like, oh no, you shouldn't want to change. You know, fat is beautiful and you can stay exactly the way that you are. It's like, well, yes, they can. But if they want to make changes and they want to become healthier, which has been proven over and over and over and over again, fucking ad hominem at this point, it's just, it's ridiculous how much evidence there is that losing extra body fat, if you're over a certain amount, is the healthiest thing you could do, regardless of what, if you're on the fucking ice cream and cookies diet. And you're even, I think the ice cream and beer diet was that caused you to lose body fat. He ended up. He ended up with um, like better blood markers, better blood work, better um, cholesterol. All of these other uh, expressions of general health were better because he just lost extra body fat, regardless of how he did it. Now, I'm not advocating for that, but I'm just saying the severity of the impact of extra body fat on your body, on your system, on your life is is dramatic yes and you don't often see it until towards the end of your life and then you're full of all these fucking regrets so don't let the idea of i've got a if i try to change myself it's i don't love myself like no that's complete bullshit um you can love yourself exactly as you are and still look to improve and grow and change and you don't have to accept that well this is just who i am and i can't change it because you have that fucking power Right? You've changed so much already, probably in the last 10, 15 years. You can do that in any, in any aspect, including physically. But, um, yeah, you, you can also change in a positive or negative direction. And we're, yeah. it, you know, the, again, like a constant in life is change. Right? We, we don't stay the same. We, we're always changing. But sometimes we're changing for the better version of us or the less than better version of us. But understand change is a constant. Um, I think I, I listened to something the other day, which I really wanted to, which I found which interesting for parents, but also interesting as far as our exposure and what we do with weight loss and this whole societal thing, right? Um, and the friends and the siblings and all the rest of it. Um, it's talk, talking about the Pygmalion effect and what they did, they did research of a, a class of like a hundred kids and these researchers came in and listen up, this is crazy with fear kids. Um, these researchers came in and we did an IQ test across the board. And they, what they did is they said, these 10 kids scored the highest on the IQ test. Um, and they told the teachers, these are the smartest kids in your class, just so you know, they scored the highest on the IQ test. And then can we monitor their progress with their tests across the board and their grades over the next year? And they came back over the next year and the kids that they said that scored the highest in the IQ test outperformed the other kids by about 30% across the board. Now, the reality is there was no IQ test, okay? Those kids outperformed by 30% across the board because they told the teachers they were, and then the teachers clumped those 10 kids together. They gave those kids, because they thought they were smarter, extra work, extra attention. They expected more of them because they are in quotes, um, smarter. So that, yeah, exactly. They had a higher IQ. So it wasn't that they were smarter. There was higher expectation from the 
people who were looking after them, the teachers, that they were going to do more. And because there was a high expectation of them becoming better, they became better. So if we're surrounded by people who keep us accountable, like coaches who expect more of us and even our friends who expect more of us to be better, to do more, then you'll be better and you'll do more and your fitness will increase. And th this has been done in a study for people who didn't even know it was happening. So it's, a, it's the same with your, you and your friends. If you're a friend, you're sit sitting with your friends and see like 10 of you or five of you, probably have two friends. So you, let's just say you're not me and you have five friends um, and you're sitting around the table and um, they're all fit and healthy and they, like, they're training every single week. The conversation itself will migrate to has training going like, Oh, what'd you do this week? Yeah. Like, like, cause you talk about different things. And then if you like, I didn't train, I had 17 beers yesterday and four pizzas. Like you'll be like, you won't say it. You like, you just won't because you mm -hmm. feel like, fuck, like I, I feel like an outlier. Whereas, so what mm -hmm. you do is you then get involved and do something because your friends are doing something as well. So again, they have an expectation of you to be similar to them because that's what friends are. Friends have similar interests and they do similar things. Um, normally you don't have two people or three people who are best friends and they have completely different interests and do completely different things. Like it's very rare to happen um, because then what happens is you have nothing to talk about. Um, so, and then you won't be friends. So if we look at it, like if you're currently sitting around the table and you're talking about, and all your mates are like 30 kilos overweight, like you're probably not talking about that. Like you just aren't, you're talking about other things and that's okay to talk about other things. You don't have to be like live and breathe fitness, but it's the expectation your friends place on you to be fit. If you are in a fit group of friends, and this is not like uh, pressure, but it's how it is in society. We want to fit in. Like that's literally who, what we want. We want to be chosen for the team. Since we were a kid growing up, we want to be chosen for the team. So we try and be chosen. We want to fit into our friendship circles. And if that is a fit circle and they're all runners, we you talk about how much you ran. How was that run? What's your pace? There's literally a language around it. Oh, how'd you train this way? Oh, I did the, like, you know, it was like pendulum squats and I did this. And I, learned that. I was like, I was like, you talk to someone who has nothing to know, doesn't understand fitness, they'll be like, what the fuck is a pendulum squat? Does he swing back and forth with his knees bent on a pendulum like a clock? Like I sit on like, it's like a Miley Cyrus with a yeah, ball exactly. and just back and forth. Yeah, like, it's actually not that hard. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like a fun, fun exercise. How do I do that? It's, uh, it's not so, yeah, exactly. But like there's a language when you're inside that group that only that group will understand. And that also increases the friendship because it's like you have a language that you talk that other people don't talk. It's like French. If you don't talk about French, they're all talking together French, right? Like, I wonder what they're saying. That's what happens in friendship groups with common interests. So you have to really understand that the Pygmalion effect is true. Um, and that is also a choice for us to choose a group of friends who expect more that we can be more than what we are. And that sometimes you've got to pay to be inside that group. And that's okay. Cause we pay to get inside circles sometimes. Um, and we can move forward. 
And or and then when you do pay to be in that group, you might make new friends and then you don't have to pay to be inside that group. But I've paid to be in business groups where I've got the Pygmalion effect of being more than me. I've paid with fitness before in my life. I've paid like in multiple ways across the board because I always want to be inside a group that I can grow inside. And sometimes paid, sometimes not paid. And then also the exposure effect, right? So the, the exposure effect and the Pygmalion effect um, are two similar but interesting things because the Pygmalion effect, one, increases an expectation of us, but also exposes us to where where focus is. So the exposure effect for us is like, where you, you, like the, the fitter you are, you, what you focus on. Um, and also what you're exposed to. So you're exposed to new ways of training, new ways of eating, new recipes. You're exposed to all of But if you're not fit and you're not focused on that, then you're exposed to the latest like beer, right? You, you spend, there's nothing wrong with that either. Oh, but you're exposed to the latest way to have a thousand calorie cookie. I, I don't know. Um, I, did, I did see that Twisties are releasing a Donut King, cinnamon donut twisty, which uh, I was exposed to and I am excited for. I will not lie. Oh, mate, I, hey, the new, the new tweet. I was saying to one of the girls out there, she, oh, I really want something. Um, I really want a good snack. And I was like, dude, have some, have, this is, twisties are good, but also is Fruit Loops. Um, and also, I never knew Fruit Loops was spelled R F R O O T, Loops. I didn't think it was Fruit Loops. I think it was, I thought it was a U I T, like actual fruit, but it's not. Oh, no, no. Because um, the, the, yeah, the two circles, two circles are, are the, the I. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I never really paid attention to that. Branding. Uh, no. I get away with <laughs> the not fruit. being able exactly. to include uh, any apple. <laughs> exactly. But when, when you're looking at it, like, if you're exposed to something else, like she exposed to me, right? She asked me a question. I want this. So I was like, dude, like you can have 150 grams of plain yogurt, drop in a scoop of protein powder that's vanilla, have 35 grams of Fruit Loops. It's like under 300 calories. It tastes like on point. It tastes like having like a, mm. a kind of like a candy. Um, and I'm like, mate, like that's okay. She's like, it's not too much sugar. It's like, no, because you've got two other meals through the day that's just whole or three meals that's just whole foods. And that was like a snack she wanted to have that made her feel good. And I was like, let's do it, making sure we're having a high protein. And she's like, wow, yeah. had it, thought it was amazing. It's like, hey, the Fruit Loops effect. Um, yeah. So so if we look at it, guys, the Pygmalion effect and the exposure effect really do work together. And that's, I would say, the biggest two factors in actually weight loss. So if we look over the podcast today, like our podcast was, you know, what's making you fat? And I would say the Pygmalion effect and the exposure effect are the two things that are making you fat. It's not your breakfast. It's not your age. We knew it's not your metabolism. We know it's not our genes. And really, it just comes down to societal, but societal effects as far as where we place our focus and we can then control that by the Pygmalion effect and the exposure effect by being inside a group of people who expect more of us and we will lose the weight because we rise to the expectations that people place on us. That's who we are as society, right? And that means you'll lose weight and you'll move forward and you'll get your goals. And, you know, if you have a coach and they expect you to show up each week for a coaching call, then you show up for that. And all my guys will go, I'll make them weigh in at least like seven days a week. I want them to weigh in, but at least a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I say Monday is the most important because they weigh in on a Monday morning. And that, that expectation of me seeing that they sitting there on a Sunday going, 
I don't want to eat shit today because I know I have to weigh in for Trav tomorrow and I don't want to be a fat, fat bastard. So, um, so like that, but that, but that is the Pygmalion effect. I have an expectation on them. And as they're trying to change their habits, they rise to the expectation until those habits are formed. And then they can also create that for their friends. And the, the force of weight loss will be a ripple effect over time. Um, so guys, I would say those are the two biggest things. What do you think, Jace? Yeah, I agree. I think that, <laughs> you know, it, it, it comes down to where you choose to place yourself in society yeah. and what, what circles you surround yourself with. And, uh, you know, we often keep ourselves with the people that we work with and the people that we went to school with, because those were, you know, location based, um, friendship circles. It's like, well, we were all in this, you know, five years of, 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 you know, forced learning prison together. Well, where, else, where am I going to make friends anywhere else? All right. I'll just make friends based on proximity. It's based on who's in the five kilometer catchment radius of this particular school. That's yeah. who you became friends with. But with the online generation, with the, the, um, you know, the, the advent of all of these, these groups and communities and that kind of stuff, it's like, you are able to surround yourself with people who are doing much better shit. You're able to curate things like your Instagram and your Facebook and your, yeah. your threads. Now, you know, if I can get into the new shit, your YouTube, all of that stuff you can curate to be only show you the shit that keeps you motivated let's say you don't have that many friends you don't talk to that many people you've got to make sure your online space is on point stop fucking looking at and liking booty pictures of instagram girls start looking at people who are actually you know not just doing hip thrusts do it in the fitness space doing good Dude, stuff i like a hip thrust stuff. Well, <laughs> sure. Yeah, you like the the, the front on view, and the, the, all sorts of shit, right? There's, there's too many thirst traps out there. Stay strong, boys. stay strong. But curate that shit so that it it, it moves you forward, mm. so that it keeps you inspired and keeps you on track. If you don't have those people around you physically, you've got to find them digitally. And as Trav said, sometimes you've got to pay for that. But that is a, an investment that is worth, you know. 10 times its investment five years down the track because the, as you said, the more you surround yourself with those people, the more you surround yourself with those um, people who have higher expectations, those expectations don't cap, right? You continue to be a little fish in a bigger pond. You just keep looking for bigger ponds, bigger ponds. And all of a sudden, you know, you get to be a much bigger fish than you ever thought you'd be, but it's, uh, it's, you know, all muscle, no fat, baby. <laughs> Great, mate. That was awesome. It's an awesome recap. I think guys, that's it for today um, for the podcast. I want you to rate us, review us. I can see those coming through. So if you haven't done it, you're actually one of the people who aren't doing it. And I expect you to do this. I'm using the Pygmalion mm. effect on you on this one. Have an I have an expectation yeah. for you to do it. And also I want you to conform to society because other people are also rating and reviewing us. So you should also conform and rate and review this as well. Um, mm. Give it, give me five seconds for our 53 minutes today. Um, Yep. And guys, hopefully you learned something today. Rate, review the podcast, leave a comment somewhere. Let us know if you want to learn something and we'll research it. And if we don't know it and we'll do a podcast on that, um, follow us on the Fit Dad Club, Instagram, threads, YouTube, focus on uh, you know the Facebook group for Fit Dad Club as well. And if you do want coaching, you want to change your life, go to fit-dad.club and we'll have a free call where we look at where you are, um, where you want to be, and we'll create a game plan on how to close the gap. And that's on fit-dad.club. And uh, I know that, you know, you guys are loving the episodes because I'm getting a lot of people actually coming back saying they're loving it. Um, and if you do want anything else, uh, let us know. And, you know, Jace can wear a bikini mm. next session for those um, people on YouTube if, if you really want it. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> but that's it for me today, guys. And we'll tune in next week. Thanks, Jace. Peace out. See you guys. <laughs>